This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, hi, I'm Rooney. I have a treat for you. A very, very accomplished sister joins us today. Former mayor of Baltimore, current executive director of the National Basketball Players Association Foundation. Wow. The NBA. Catch the fever. The midseason tournament is every Tuesday and Fridays. I, I feel like I'm doing the NBA commercial. <laughs> I love the midseason tournament. Um, the in-season tournament, should I say. Stephanie Rollins-Blake joins us today on Higher Learning. Stephanie, how are you doing? I'm wonderful. How are you feeling about the midseason tournament? I don't understand it, okay? <laughs> and so here's the thing. It's, it's, I, I, I asked you how you felt about it. I didn't ask you if you understood it. Well, that's important, though. It's important. Okay. I, I'm feeling good about it because it's basketball, but mm-hmm. I am wondering why. You know, but, but, but it's, it's fun. What well, I'm looking for like more, more than basketball. anything, I'll tell you what I'm looking for. I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to another reason to go to Vegas. That's what I'm talking about. I can't wait. Vegas, the 60s. I love Vegas. Love Vegas. Go down there. You guys do? (laughs) I'm like, I got to be in and out of Vegas. Nah, man. I can't wait to... The in-season tournament, the the, uh, 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 NBA basketball tournament in Vegas is going to be the worst display of humanity you can possibly see. All the IG people are coming out. (laughs) Everybody's going to be there. Me and Kalika will be there. Um, I want to talk... I don't understand... I'm sorry. You have the whole agenda. I'm trying to figure out um, why. What's the problem with Vegas? But I'll let you do your interview. Sorry to take you off. No, the no. There's no problem with Vegas. Uh, well, no, I, I want to know. What, what is your issue with Vegas? No, it's just a lot for me. I feel like the older I get, the more I'm like, I just want to get in, take care of business, and go. There's nothing for me to enjoy unless I'm going for a specific reason, like Usher. Then that's great. I was just there for 72 hours for BravoCon. I was ready to go. It was too much. Vegas takes a toll on me. And I didn't do, and I didn't even appreciate it. I was just working there the mm. whole time. I don't know. It's a very biz, a transactional thing with me in Vegas right now. I get in business and I got to get out. I don't know. Help me. Maybe I need to go to the in-season tournament. Maybe that would bring back my You should my love or have a holiday party. Now I do love a good party, Stephanie. Ooh, there's an NBA <laughs> holiday party. <laughs> there. Foundation, NBA PA Foundation holiday party. Yeah, we're celebrating we're about four or five players and their philanthropy. Um, we're, we are the foundation uh, before I came on really didn't have a fundraising strategy. Uh, they had existed off of the fines. 
and Draymond can only do what he can do. So I figured we needed to put together a real, uh, that was a joke, just for the record. No, no, no. Um, put together a real uh, fundraising strategy. So we had a, our initial, our uh, inaugural golf tournament during um, Summer League, and we're doing a, a holiday party. We're, I'm super, super excited about, about being able to showcase the players and what they're doing. For someone that had and has such a background in uh, politics, like the highest level of politics, like mayor of a major American city, what made you want to work with the NBA? It's interesting. Um, I didn't think I did at first. Um, I was approached um, a year before I actually um, took the position, and I, I didn't see the the connection. And the crazy thing is I uh, was invited to the, um, what do you call that film festival? Tribeca Film Festival for the um, showing of Game Change Game. And I still get goosebumps when I, when I talk about it because I was sitting there uh, in the cinema watching the players, literally knowing that they impacted the last presidential um, election, knowing that you know, we, I think we can agree without having to see like official research that people, young people aren't checking for politicians, uh, to, to be their, um, their North star. They're not checking for religious leaders. Who are they listening to when it's players? And these players want to have an impact. They want to, um, change the world for the better. And I'm thinking like, literally that's what I did. Like, you know, if you, it, it, there's, one thing to protest, but if you're trying to get laws passed, you know, I think those are the skills that I possess, you know, having spent over 20 years in elected office, getting uh, significant things done, fighting for police reform and accountability, like the things that they care about. And I was, I, I sat there and I was like, that's the connection. Um, the, the, the reason why I was involved in uh, politics was because of my love of service and wanting to use my skills and talents to make my community better. And I was just, it was just like, it, it hit me like a boom, like this is an opportunity to do this literally on a global scale. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm always interested when people make that a transition like that, because you said you spent decades in public policy and then to make that transition to, you know, with the foundation and basketball, was that difficult for you to be able to do that? And like, what advice would you give someone who maybe is saying, hey, I've dedicated my life to this. This has defined me for such a long time, but I want to switch to this because I'm also equally, if not more, passionate about the work that this thing is doing. So I I, I, I am loath to, uh, to, not to correct you, but to disagree. Okay. Uh, it is what I did. It did not de- define me. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was very, very clear about that. I was a person who was blessed to be able to uh, work in elected office in something that I felt called to do. Um, but the reason why I feel like I prospered on the other side of elected office is because that is what I did. That is not who I was. Uh, and um, that is an important distinction uh, for me. Um, but I will say on the other side of it, for people who are looking to do something uh, different, um, I would, you, you have to really open your eyes to new possibilities. And just like I did, because initially I didn't, but you know, it is when I, I opened my eyes in sincerity 
to what was possible uh, with, you know, the, the tr- transferability, if that's a word, of my skills, I was able to see it. And I'm very, very grateful for um, this opportunity to do good in a, in a new arena. I mean, when I think about what I saw as mayor and how not just um, professional athletes, but people who were very uh, active in philanthropy, a lot of people have good intentions, right? Oh, I want to put a community center here. I want to do this here. And more times than not, it is not informed by the people that they want to serve. It is not informed by a partnership with the people who are already on the ground doing that work. And because I know how inefficient that is, like that is what I'm talking to the players about. Yes, if you want to do a turkey drive, that's fine. But why don't, you know, let's figure out what's going on on the ground. Let's figure out, like talk to the mayor, talk to the city council people, see where it is, it is actually needed. Fill a gap. Um, you know, you have to do more than just want to do good. I think if you are intentional about, um, you know, being effective in that work, you, you have to dig a little deeper. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Hmm. You know, it's interesting. I'm very skeptical of leagues like the NFL and like the NBA and their ability to actually make structural change just because they're so deeply entrenched into uh, corporate America, right? They, the, you, the players can go only so far. Um, the players can only say so much because some things that they say that I think that Black people or specific groups would need might undercut the bottom line. The, in, the NFL, in my opinion, has tried and failed to reconcile some of the issues that the league has inside of itself and some of the social change they want to make outside of that. The NBA 
actually has a much more progressive front on these things. But I'm wondering, how do these players or how are these players actually empowered to make actual systemic change when the fans of the league uh, come from so many different, varying political, religious, and demographic places? Like, how can these guys actually talk about what they need to talk about? Part of it starts with understanding how how to create systemic change and understanding where they want to make systemic change. So, for example, um, I talked about doing a turkey drive. It's about to be Thanksgiving. Um, We know that that is a stopgap. That doesn't solve nutrition insecurity, food insecurity. Um, So, the first one of the first things that I started to do was talk to people in that space. I've been talking to the Milken Institute and some others in that space and trying to figure out, um, number one, how to inform players about the things that are going on in that in that work. So we're not just filling backpacks every year, but we're figuring out a way with the resources that are out there to end the cycle of uh, food insecurity and nutrition insecurity. And out of the work that's going out of there, what can you lend your voice to? What can you lend your time and your talents to to move these systems? So it's, you know, you can't do the systems change without laying the foundation. And that's the, the thing that I've been doing uh, in my first year uh, at the foundation, which is really digging deep into the work and figuring out how um, how we can engage the players in this work. Doing, I'm doing the same thing with the American Cancer um, Society. Uh, it It infuriates me that a black man who was diagnosed with prostate cancer compared to a white man, it is the largest health disparity gap out of all of the cancers when a black man is uh, diagnosed with prostate cancer. And I'm sure you all know that it does not have to be. Um, you know, we I've been asking them the question, how can players... Um, engage with them to underscore the importance of screening, especially since screening is so much easier uh, for prostate cancer than it has been in the past. How can we be a voice to um, to, to spread the importance of screening? Um, the WNBA players were equally, if maybe, if not more, more <laughs> <laughs> um, vocal about using their platform, their positions um, to speak out against, you know, social change and, 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 and as a form of protest of what was going on in the country as well. Will there be some type of um, work or collaboration with the WNBA as well with the foundation so they can continue um, to influence policy and social change? Yeah, I, I, uh, prior to this role, I served as an advisor. Uh, the, the, the WNBA PA had a has a board of advisors that, that helps be as a sounding board for that work. Uh, and uh, in this role, I, I welcome the opportunity to, uh, to partner. And I'm looking for, for ways that we can do that. I talked about prostate cancer. Um, health is very, very important uh, to me. Uh, I'm looking for, you know, maybe there's a possibility we can do work together around breast cancer, because even though it's the, the, the health disparity is not as wide, the gap is not as wide when it comes to black women who are um, who are um, diagnosed with breast cancer, there still is a disparity. So, you know, I, I think that the, the sky's the limit. 
Um, I, and I'm looking forward to uh, ways that we can um, deepen our collaboration. Uh, what about protest? Protest is a very effective tool, particularly with guys who have uh, this type of, of platform. Um, the NBA is a, a, it's a, it exists in an interesting spot. Like it's a league that is very supportive of vocally supportive of, of a lot of things with with great coaches um, that talk about things. Greg Popovich, Steve Kerr, um, that are really very vocal. Uh, but it is a league that different forms of po- protests and and it. it it's a very player-driven league. Sometimes it doesn't seem as open to players protesting and using their voice um, as I would like it to be or as others would like it to be. You were mayor when your city was uh, gripped by a lot of protests surrounding the, 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 the death of Freddie Gray. What did you learn about people's need and ability to protest and the freedom that they need to protest uh, from that situation that helps you deal with players, particularly young players, that might want to be outspoken and say different things. Right. So um, if you recall during uh, that time, I really took heat uh, for protecting uh, citizens and and any protesters. You know, I I was very focused on making sure that that they they were able uh, to have a place and a space to uh, peacefully protest. That was important to me. And I still take heat uh, to this day uh, for it. You know, people say that, you know, I gave them, I gave them space to destroy the city. I'm, you know, I'm like, no, I was trying to protect uh, people's First Amendment rights. Some people, and we've seen this, you know, subsequent to that, um, we've seen this time and time again, where people who mean no good for the community come in uh, and take advantage of a bad situation and create damage in communities. Uh, but that's different than, you know, the the speech that I was trying to protect. Um, so with respect to uh, their, their freedom, I will, I will always protect it uh, in any way that I can. But with respect to the protest, what I learned in that, and it's something that I knew, but something that was, um, it was borne out and it was really, the the it was really evidenced by the you know what happened subsequently is after the protests like after the signs come down after you going on to care about something else the work has to continue to be done um protests are important and effective at shining a light um Protests in and of themselves don't system change. Um, you know, I think what what I um, continue to be encouraged by is so many young people who are uh, taking up the opportunity to run for office, to serve, to be a part of the change, uh, to join community organizations, to join school boards, because, yeah, protesting is important, shining a light is important, but you have to get people who are ready, willing, and able to to do the actual work on the ground, um, having these crucial conversations, trying to figure out, you know, how the laws need to be changed and why. You know, that's, uh, to me, that's what is often overlooked um, when people, um, you know, want to pat each other on the back because they showed up in a T-shirt and a sign. Uh, What did you do after that? 
um, what what time and talent did you uh, commit after that when nobody was looking? You know, when CNN was gone, did you go to the meeting? Did you, you know, sit down with uh, your representatives? Did you sit down with your community members and think about how um, how you wanted uh, to show up for your community, how your community wants to show up in partnership with your government? Did you do those things? And, you know, I, I, that's why I'm part of the reason why I like um, this role is because I'm able to emphasize the importance of the ongoing work. We can't wait until another tragedy uh, to do the work that they want to see. Um, I love that you were inspired by Game Change Game. And that's one of the reasons that you wanted to be to work with or take on this role with the foundation. Um, A lot of people, a lot of fans, there's a lot of criticism around 2020 and what the players did and from fans who didn't want to see politics or activism in sports, even though there's a long history of that. Well, with the 2024 elections coming up, and this might not even be something that the foundation does, but will there be something that the foundation does with the NBA players in the community, whether it's voter registration, whether it's education on policies, or is that something that, because there is the fan base doesn't necessarily love to see that, that they'll stay away from? I'm hoping that the, the players want to get as involved as they were in the last presidential election. And we're working with, um, we have uh, partners on voter education, voter registration, player registration, all of those things. Um, but it's really, you know, we can um, give the information. You know, my goal is to help them understand how valuable their voices are in this space. Uh, so they will want to engage at the same level. Uh, because, at, you know, since 2020, the the level of engagement has we have you know it hasn't reached that level again um, and you know my goal is to get uh, to get them to get us to that level by the and, way and maintain it I just want to say something real quick um, when you look at the agenda of uh, the foundation areas like childhood nutrition disaster relief mental health social justice youth sports those are things that these players definitely have the power and the cachet to affect. Like an, an, an unbelievable mm-hmm. list of things right there. And they can definitely touch directly on them. So I think it's also important that the goals there are within reach to like what the guys in the NBA can do. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, because if they were to say like, oh, geopolitics, I'd have been like, whoa, pump the brakes. <laughs> well, I'll <laughs> say this. I'll say this. You know, we have players that almost uh, like over 25% of the players international, right? So you talk about geopolitics. Now, I won't say geopolitics, but geo um, environmental issues. Players are very mm. strong and interesting. You know, when uh, during the whole draft process, um, Wemby's mother came up to me uh, and asked, because I had mentioned that uh, we're doing some work around uh, water infrastructure on water infrastructure on the continent with some of the players that, you know, that's their thing. And she said, you know, that, that that was something that they were interested in. You know, they, these players have a reach. Mm. So it's just about how, um, I'm a big believer in, um, coalescing uh-huh. around issues. Uh, we do this matching grant program, 25,000 match, right? So they give 25, we give 25. 
you know, I've been talking to some of the players that are from the South. Do you think you would be interested in coming together and putting, you know, layering all of these, um, these matching grants together to do something big? You know, how can we do more um, with the resources that we have to have it to have a larger impact? So these are the, those are the types of things that I'm exploring. Wimby's mom, she was tall. How tall was she? <laughs> tall, very, very tall, very poised. He yeah. was incredible. I mean, is tall. incredibly poised. Um, yeah. You know, I was, I was very impressed with their family. You could tell that they have a very close family, and they raise him with some common sense. His whole family of getting stuff off the top shelf. <laughs> um, I so, know, right? So, yeah. I could definitely do that. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom and the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom and the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Um, okay, so this is actually an amazing thing. You became the first and only black woman that was elected to serve as the president of the U.S. Conference of Mayors, an incredible, incredible, incredible achievement. Um, there have been a lot of black mayors recently elected in prominent cities across the country. It's good. It's a good deal. There's also been some criticism of those black mayors and their pro-policing stance. The question I have for you is that, is it possible that there is a disconnect between, on policing, between the actual electorate of Black people that vote in these elections and some of the voices in activism and protest and intelligentsia that are trying to envision a different view of policing. Is it, is it, uh, being a mayor of a city where you have to work with police, like... We almost made it through this podcast about me having to say something controversial. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm, 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 I'm asking because me and Rachel talk about this a lot, my disenchantment, you know, with the Democrats. I'm I'm a liberal, but it seems as if what black voters want and what the outcry that you hear from activism and activists and other it doesn't always seem to 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 match up. Am I am I reading that right or 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 no? Okay. I'm like you want me this is my this is my honest not speaking as the executive director of the foundation, <laughs> but speaking as someone who has been in that space. Right. Uh, there, there, there are a lot of disconnects. Okay. Um, I think one of the, the largest misconceptions is that there's a singular Black voice when it comes to community policing. Um, what I will say is um, I've never once 
been to a black community that is besieged by violence, who where grandmothers can't go to the corner store in safety, where they fear for the lives of their children and their grandchildren in a community every time that they go outside from gun violence, not police violence, from from community gun violence. Never, you know, as we say in Baltimore, never not once did I hear them say that they wanted less police. Mm. What they said was we wanted better police, right? Totally different. And what I, the, the disconnect that I see is when you have people who have the, who are blessed uh, to live in safe communities, to, you know, that, that they can go to the, you know, the, the Target and the, and the uh, what do you call those, uh, the Harris Teeters and all of those things, right? They can do that. And while they're doing it, they care about the Black community, but they don't live in those situations. So when you hear those people who don't live in the heat, talking about defund the police and, you know, we should end policing the people who are impacted. That's not what, that is never what I've heard. So when I was mayor, I was committed to better policing, reforming the police department, getting more community engagement with the people, the the people who committed to themselves to, to want to make the community safer. Like to me, that is the work. Um, this whole, this whole kind of nebulous, you know, we envision a world without the police. People that are living with crime, people that are burying their kids, they're not talking about that. Is better policing want, possible? Um, absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I think it ha- it it happens when people are willing to have uh, honest conversations all around. Um, I, you know, when I was mayor, I, when I tell you, I can't even tell you the time, the number of times I had conversations with the police union. And this is before the the death of Freddie Gray about how their version of what, you know, their, their, their notions about policing are not going to last their, their ability to, uh, line up behind police officers, even when they have done wrong, I can, you know, that is going to end. I said, I can't tell you when it's going to end. I can tell you that it will end. And you're not going to have the credibility that you want to be able to do your job until you're willing to have that conversation. Now, you don't have to have it out in public, but y'all need to have it internally because you can't think that a community is going to work with you when you refuse to acknowledge that there are some people among you who do not deserve to wear the uniform. Mm. So, you know, it, it, it is those, it, it, it's the police have to have the community, those conversations, you know, well, let me just say, we know electeds need to have it, right? But police need to have it and the community needs to have it as well. Mm. Because we need to figure out as a community what we're willing to do to, to, I'm not saying we ignore the history because that's silly, but the history is what the history is. Mm-hmm. If you say that we want better, we have to figure out what we're willing to do uh. in partnership with the people who are, are, are hired to do it to create better, better. And that's accountability on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, last question for me. Uh, what are some of the, I know you guys have worked with uh, some partnerships like the Disaster Relief Partnership. 
Um, you teamed up uh, with a company with that. And so what are some of the other... Team Rubicon. Team yeah. Rubicon. And what are some of the other initiatives that you guys are currently working on as a foundation? So that was important to me as mayor, you know, within 24 hours of getting sworn in in 2010, we had snowmageddon. Uh, I had, I, I dealt with floods, earthquake, uh, tornadoes, derechos. I didn't even know what a derecho was, you know. I don't know what it is. Still still what, like, what is that? Right? Yes. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's somewhere between a hurricane and a tornado. Oh, oh my gosh. It, yeah. And it's crazy. I mean, it, it blacked out a significant portion of the city. So what I'm saying is I've been through it, right? I've had to deal with, um, all different types of disasters. And I understood um, very clearly the time to prepare isn't after you have an incident, it's before. So that's why the partnership with Team Rubicon was so important to me because we are pre-positioning assets all across the country. So we know that no matter what other organizations locally players want to uh, support when a disaster strikes, what we know is Team Rubicon, which is uh, veteran-founded, veteran-led, uh, where uh, military veterans are using their skills and t- talents to help uh, rebuild communities. We know that uh, they've agreed to be first on the ground. And if and if our players want to be a part of those solutions and help respond, you know, they facilitate that happening. And that mm. was very important to me. And we're also trying to get a feeding partner. So we're able to show up in communities um, immediately uh, with feeding partners as well. Um, so, you know, the, the, those are just some of the, 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 the partnerships around disaster relief that we're working on, that we have established and that we're working on. At Stephanie Rawlings-Blake, the executive director of the National Basketball Players Association Foundation, she has just guaranteed us that it's going up in Vegas. <laughs> Is going up. This, 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 does this tell you how old I am? Yeah, I'm raising the roof. I mean, we we can we can, we can <laughs> still raise it. We know how to have a good time. We exactly. can still raise we can it. Raise it with you. We can still raise it. <laughs> um, Listen, I I believe in partying with a purpose. You know, I I think the way that we maximize the impact of the players to be able to raise money for the things that they care about is to be able to put on world class events. I, my golf tournament was amazing in July. We're looking forward to doing it again. You know, we we. Think about what uh, Jay Z does with that one poker game and how many millions yeah. of dollars. True. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's true. Yeah, it's true. You know. Um, I, last thing I'll say is I'm I'm a huge fan of The Wire, so I did a Wire rewatch podcast, and so I'm coming to Baltimore. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a Baltimore food tour. And oh, oh, oh! You gonna have fun? We have great restaurants. See what I'm saying? <laughs> See, I want to walk. I'm telling you, it's, it's hard to be on a diet in Baltimore. So my thing is because um, I'm looking because it's like they ate so many different things on a wire. They ate pit beef sandwiches. They yeah, ate, I know where to go for that. They, okay, they ate crab. They ate they lake trout carry out. They they did. Oh, oh, you don't like the lake trout? No, no, no. I love it. It's just it's like. Uh, you know, New Orleans and gumbo. It's just like, that's the kind of fight. Crab cakes and lake trout is a, you know, it's like people like it different ways. You know what I mean? Like, it's like Memphis and barbecue. It's just like, whose is the best? Right. I I can tell you one thing. You're not going to get a bad crab cake. Okay. Because I'll tell you, you know, I'm, when I'm saying this, I'm exaggerating, but you know, you serve a bad crab crab cake in Baltimore, people want to burn your place down. So you (laughs) know you're going to get a good crab cake. Um, and I, 
offline, I'm happy to I was about tell to say. you my yeah, because with the food, gotcha. That's what we're known for. Me and Jamel Hill are gonna go down there and we're gonna do this because we did the podcast. Oh, well, tell Jamel just to tell Sonny to uh, text me and I'll give her my. Um, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I'll give her my my uh, restaurant. Baltimore food tour. Uh, that's definitely Rollins Blake. Good work being done over there. Yes. Um, at the NBA, we hope to work with you guys more and and talk more about like what you guys have going on. Thank you for joining us on Higher Learning. Thank you. My pleasure. Wonderful to talk to you guys. 